Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We are at a breakneck pace through the book of Mark. Nobody judge me for what I'm doing right now, okay? Found some Mountain Dew here in the church and just accidentally opened it, started drinking it, so. Mark chapter 2. We're going to read uh, starting with verse 23, and we're going to go through chapter 3 to verse 6. So we are, just because, you guys do know there was no chapter divisions when they when Mark wrote this, right? Everybody knows he didn't write, I wonder what I'm going to say in verse 2. Like that's not, that's, it, this was a gospel account, and then we split it up. So the subject remains the same. Just want you to know. All right, let's start with verse 23, and then after we read this, we'll pray and, and dive in. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Or, to, or save life, or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this text of Scripture. We thank you for the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, both here, what we read 2,000 years ago, and presently, because we know, Jesus, you are living to make intercession for us. You've sent the Holy Spirit, who you said would teach us all things and lead us into all truth. And this morning, God, I pray that through your word, we would see wonderful things, and we would grow, and we would learn, and we would be helped, and we would be changed. God, help us to think biblically and to live biblically. I pray that for all of us this morning and that we would hear with ears given by the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get here to the end of Mark, just to remind everybody, there's been multiple confrontations um, and there, this is, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five listed in chapter two in the chapter three. And uh, we've read the fourth and the fifth confrontation. And these confrontations are setting a tone for the rest of the ministry of Jesus. And they're setting a tone, which you just caught probably at the very end, if you hear just how blatantly premeditated this was, they get together to figure out how to destroy, or some translations say, how to kill him. So the confrontations that Jesus is having with the religious rulers, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, which we 
haven't really encountered yet. Uh, these groups are big mad. Is that what the kids are saying today? Kids, help me out. They, they are big mad at, oh, okay, they're all laughing, so I must be using it, but I'm old, so it's comical that I'm using it. Okay, that's perfect. So they are really upset uh, that Jesus is doing what he is doing. What is he doing? So let's, let's look and see uh, again um, what's going on here with Jesus. So it is a Sabbath, and that has been kind of, uh, that it, the, these last two issues are directly related to the Sabbath, which is, everybody knows what the Sabbath is for the Jews? It is a day of rest. It was Saturday for the Jews, and it started at sundown, and it went to sundown, which is a completely like, for me, it's like, that feels weird. But, uh, but it would start Friday night around 6 p.m. whenever the sun starts to go down and go to the next day. That was a Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, according to the law, you were not allowed to work. There was a purpose behind this, and that was for rest. In fact, every seven years, and, and I don't have all this, uh, I'm just remembering this off the top of my head now, I should have had this in my notes, but uh, every seven years and then every 50 years, it was a year of Jubilee, but God had multiple rests built in, uh, and it was very smart because if you use uh, the same farmland over and over and over and over and over, it eventually loses the mineral content, and it doesn't produce as good of crops, so every seven years, they quit tilling that particular section of the ground, and they let it rest, and they and then they would come back the next year. God had built in a, a system for the, uh, for the Jewish nation to live and to follow, and the Sabbath was, a, was part and parcel to the weekly life of a Jewish believer. Um, the rules, though, around the Sabbath are outlined in the Old Testament, and it's pretty, pretty clear you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to do labor. However... As time goes on, there are growing and differing interpretations of what that actually means. What does it mean you can't work? What does it mean to have a Sabbath day journey, which was about three-fourths of a mile? How many steps is that? If I go one step past that, have I broken the law? According to the Pharisees, yes, you have. One step further. If I tear a garment, can I sew it? Well, you can, but you can only use one stitch. Okay, that was that was in that's not in the Old Testament. That is in the Mishnah, which is the Jewish uh, kind of commentary on the law, and it grew with rabbis, and there were different traditions. By the time we get to the first century, the ideas around what holy living looked like was really hard because there were a lot of extra rules attached but they were rules that were really portrayed as the correct interpretation of God's word. Okay, so we're not we're not just we're not saying that the law of not working is what is the issue. What we're what we're seeing here in this passage of scripture is that the Pharisees and the scribes had interpreted the law in such a way that it made it narrower and narrower and harder and narrower to actually live this way. 
that allowed them to lord it over the people that they were holy and preferred and they knew what they were doing. And when they walk down the street, you literally get out of the way. Uh, you, they get the best seats at the feast. They get all of this privilege in this first century that Jesus has landed in. And he, as we read, is also big mad. So, let's, let's read through here. He, one Sabbath, they were going through the grain fields, Jesus and the disciples. As they're going through their way, they're plucking off heads of grain. So, this is probably not a good example, but they're plucking off heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands to get the individual grains out and eating them. But it's a Sabbath day. which means they're harvesting a crop, according to the Pharisees. Plucking a couple heads of grain is considered harvesting work. Now, has anybody ever worked in a garden? I'm not sure that I would consider plucking an apple off of a tree or a couple heads of grain off of a wheat stalk as work as much as I would if you were in an apple orchard with a bucket and a tree uh, climber and one of those things and you're out there for eight hours. That would be work. The, the one that comes with the sunburn and the pain in the back and the Advil at the end of the day and hopefully a glass of iced tea, that would be work. Picking a singular apple may not, in my mind, I don't know about yours, qualify as work. But to the Pharisees, <laughs> no, you are in violation of our interpretation of the law. And you are to be condemned, which is what they're doing. And you notice he, the Pharisees don't ask Jesus, or excuse me, they don't ask the disciples. They go to Jesus because Jesus as the teacher and having these students, they're holding him responsible. And let's read what is said. Pharisees, by the way, do you, you notice that the Pharisees just happen to be there in the middle of a wheat field? Anybody notice that that's a little odd? What are, what are they doing? The same thing they're doing over here in chapter 3. They're watching him. He has already caused enough trouble with his miracles and demons being cast out and his sermons. He's already caused enough trouble by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's caused enough trouble that they are watching him closely. And they said, look, this is uh, verse 24, what are they doing? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, it's true you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. But Deuteronomy 23.25 tells us also in the law, you can turn there, if you, you don't have to turn there, excuse me, but you can write that down, tells us that if you're going through your neighbor's field, you're actually allowed to pluck some heads of grain. So what they were doing wasn't violation of that part of the law, but the violation was the Sabbath. So Jesus answers and says, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was, in hung was hungry, he and those who were with him. So what Jesus is asking them to remember the most beloved figure in Jewish history, which is King David. King David is everybody's favorite. King David is who they know the line of the Messiah is coming. King David represents the glory days of Israel, and they are hoping that a Messiah will come 
and deliver them from the Roman oppression from David, from his line, which, by the way, is the guy they're talking to, Jesus. Their hope in David's eventual Messiah that they're looking for is actually there talking to them. And he asked them to remember what David did. David, as he's running from Saul and has some men with him on a Sabbath day, goes in to the temple and asks to eat the bread of the presence, which was 12 loaves of bread that were baked. They were unleavened bread. They were loaves, like uh, big circles. Um, If you've seen the Chosen episode, it's really helpful if you've seen that. And what... uh, what they would do is, is they bake the new bread for the Sabbath, and then the old bread was actually eaten by the priests. And David comes in hungry, famished, running away, and needs some food, and asks for it, and the priest gives him the bread of presence, which was not lawful for anybody to eat but the priest. It's given to David. And Jesus asked them to remember that. And you, you kind of get the way that he asked the question, Hey, you experts in the law, have you not read about David? That it's a little almost insulting. Have you not read about the most popular character in our history? Have you not read the law that you're an expert of? Have you not not looked at it? Don't you remember that? Podcast, maybe we can edit that out. Where was I? Jesus telling them about David, talking about the bread. David's eating the bread. David's allowed to eat the bread because he had need of it. And his need in that moment was not considered a violation of the law. And that is what Jesus said, because when you go back and you read that account of David, you find out that God, he is never condemned for what he did. So he, verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Do you see another connection to what Jesus is making a reference to? Jesus is saying David and his followers ate the bread of presence, which wasn't lawful to do, but because of their need, it was permissible for them to do this. God allowed that because they were in need and David as God's anointed one wasn't seeking to violate the law. He was seeking to take care of his men and God made an allowance for that. And the connection that he's making is, I am here and these are my men and I am doing the same thing because I have a mission as well. That is, that is in the background of what Jesus is saying here. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What do you think Jesus is trying to say here? If you look at Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus 23.12 or Deuteronomy 5.14, you find out that the purpose of the Sabbath was not keeping all the rules. The purpose of the Sabbath was for rest. The purpose of the Sabbath was joyful, refreshing 
reflection on who God is and what God has done. I'm going to put a little parenthesis here in my sermon, okay? The parenthesis is this. We are too busy and we work like silly people too frequently. There is a reason for Sabbathing. There is a reason for you slowing down. And I don't mean filling up everything with leisure or sports or games or movies. Not that those are wrong. What I mean is there is an on-purpose intentional slowing down reflection on God and rest that we are supposed to be doing. Just, that's my parentheses. That's what we should be doing. Because we do not, because we burn the candle at both ends, and I don't know if there's ever been a culture like the American culture that values that more than any other culture in history, where we are really impressed by the guy who never sees his family because he's so dedicated to work. Well, at least they're, they're impressed by him at work. They give him plaques at work and divorce certificates at the house. Okay, so we, we value hard work, and that isn't wrong, but it, it crosses over into wrong when we don't stop and rest on purpose, intentionally, to joyfully appreciate what God has given and what God has done. Okay? That's my parentheses. Maybe we need to talk about that in its own special sermon. Okay. So, go with me to Matthew chapter 12, because Matthew records this same event, and he says something in there that gets at the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. It's the same story, but there's a little extra added. At, the same, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. So far, same story. But then Jesus adds, or actually Matthew records this additional thing that Jesus said. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What is he saying? On the Sabbath day, they actually did twice as many animal sacrifices. Which, guess who did those sacrifices? The priests. Guess how much killing and work went into those sacrifices? These guys on the Sabbath day, the priests, worked more on that day than on the other days. And yet... They are not considered to be doing something that is wrong, Jesus says. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 5. He says they are guiltless because they are engaged in the work of God. That is different than a Jewish person who is trying to get ahead 
by working his crops on the Sabbath. That was prohibited. That is against the law. You're not supposed to be doing that. You would be in big trouble for that. But these guys who are also doing work on the Sabbath are doing something for God. And they are held guiltless as a result. And Jesus is using this as his argument against them when they said, why are your disciples eating and plucking grain on the Sabbath and engaging in this work? Why are they doing that? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? We are on a mission, and we have a holy calling. And that's not all. Let me keep reading. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, which is us, Jesus and the disciples. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I think Matthew helps me understand what Mark is trying to say because Jesus added in there something greater than the temple is here. The priests who are working in the temple on the Sabbath are held guiltless because they are doing it for the Lord as ministry to the Lord and something greater than the temple is here, which phrase should have would have absolutely driven them crazy because Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the temple. God in the flesh is talking to them. Their awaited Messiah is there and they don't see it. All they see is He's breaking the rules, not the law, the interpretation of the law that our particular group has narrowly defined as meaning this, and you are wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, you have forgotten that mercy is desired above sacrifice. What does that mean? I take that to mean that what God is after is not the sacrifice of all your rule keeping. Not going to make a distinction. When I say rule keeping, I don't mean um, the rules of the scripture. We should be keeping the scripture. Like, uh, thou shall not kill. You, you should obey that rule. Okay, everybody? You should obey that rule. Don't commit adultery. You, you should obey that rule. That isn't like, oh, well, Pastor Steve is saying that the rules are irrelevant. It's just all mercy, man. Yes, I love hippie Jesus. I love the idea. I love the idea of just doing whatever I want and everything's fine. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that it is the tendency of religious people to have greater and greater refined rules that they impose on people that are not what the heart of God is in Scripture. That's why Jesus says, you have forgotten, and he quotes Hosea, I desire mercy over your mechanical, rule-keeping sacrifice, which is not really the rules that I laid down in Deuteronomy. It's not really the rules I laid down in the law. If you go back to Mark, Jesus is trying to explain to them that the Sabbath was made to help them, not 
so that you would have a bunch of rules to keep that you struggle to keep. Then he says something that I imagine contributes to their plot to kill him. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's very connected to something greater than the temple is here. So he's saying it in multiple ways and the disciples here these Pharisees don't hear. This is the Son of God. This is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Son of Man is a messianic title that he's using of himself. And he's saying, if I am the creator of mankind, and I am the creator of the law and gave you the Sabbath, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I was listening to R.C. Sproul, and at this point he said, in essence, Jesus is saying, do you not know who you are talking to? This is like Arwen yesterday. We should never have taught her math, unfortunately. She's learning it in school against our better judgment. Just kidding. And Arwen said, Mommy, how fast are you driving? Because she saw the speed limit sign that said 55, and Jennifer said 58, which we all know is fine, right? Nobody's good, right? Unless you're in Hanging Rock, and then it's not fine. So, uh, Everybody knows about Hanging Rock, right? One mile an hour over the speed limit, and you are going to jail, perhaps. Um, she said, 58? Mommy, that's not 55, that's three miles an hour more. It's like, well, yes, you did the math, and that's wonderful. Um, but, Arwen, don't you know who we are? We are your parents. You are not supposed to be correcting. Anyway, we didn't actually, that's not a good analogy because we didn't make up the speed limit law. Um, so, but that was, that's what that reminded me of. So Jesus has told them, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. One greater than the temple is here. You have forgotten that I desire mercy over sacrifice. David did this. I'm the, I am the fulfillment of the promise to the line of David. I'm here, and you guys are worried that my disciples plucked a head of grain on the Sabbath. That, that's what's happening. That's part one that gives us a look into the heart of what religion does not just to Pharisees, but to every one of us. Every one of us are susceptible to becoming Pharisee-like. So let's look at chapter 3. Mark includes it this way, and Matthew includes it this way, that these two stories are coupled together, and I believe Luke does as well, showing that these stories are meant to be read together. I don't know if chronologically they go together uh, because Mark bounces all over the place. It's not chronological uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So I don't know if this was the next day or the next, or excuse me, the next Sabbath. Uh, I don't believe it would be the same, but, but it's the same thing is going on. Again, he entered the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. So a synagogue's a community like ours of a church. 
And if there was somebody here that was disabled or in a wheelchair, we would be aware of that, right? And, and if, especially he's been coming every Sabbath. But look at what is going on. This is a setup. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. This is a setup. This is what happens in the twisted soul of a Pharisee who wants the rules kept at all cost, his interpretation of the rules, and is ready to accuse and condemn as quick as they can. And Jesus, this is a completely different story. You don't miss this. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. So this is a rabbi, Jesus, coming into the synagogue and pointing out the crippled among them and asking him to come center stage. This is not a guy seeking healing, by the way. This is a guy who is there, who has got a withered hand that's either, uh, we don't know what exactly it was, we just know it was visible. And they had seen it and they knew it. And they are there, the Pharisees, to see if Jesus is going to do anything. And Jesus says to him, come here. And then while the guy, so picture this, Jesus calls this guy into the center of the room where he would have been standing and looks at the Pharisees and asks them a question because he knows they are there to accuse him. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To save life? or to kill? Well, that is a weird question. Who's talking about murder? Nobody's talking about murder. It seems like the context is that they're just there to accuse Him for healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were Silent. They don't say a word. Do you want to know why I believe they don't say a word? Because they were in fact plotting to kill. That is where their hearts were. Their hearts were murderous. Their hearts were so twisted up with keeping rules that they were going to violate Thou shalt not kill in order to keep Jesus from showing mercy. Look, and look at Jesus' reaction. Verse 5. He looked around at them with anger. This is a very strong word. Anger. Grieved. If you, just, if you just covered up everything around it and just see the words anger, grieved. That this is the way God feels is an anger towards the religious heart that is callous, that has forgotten mercy, but He's simultaneously grieved. Grieved that this is where their hearts are. At their hardness of heart. Their calloused heart. This is a 
powerful, terrible, scary moment. The Son of God is standing in their synagogue with a man with a crippled hand, and he is looking at the religious leaders saying, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to kill? What should the answer be? To do good. In, in another place, Jesus says, how many of you will not help if your oxen is in a ditch or a sheep is hurt or somebody is in peril of their life? And the, the law made provision for all of that, but they had gotten so twisted up, they are like, if you dare heal him on the Sabbath, we will consider that work. It is a violation of the law, and we want you dead. That is the degree of the twistedness and the hatred that is coming at Jesus. Look at all the work that Jesus does. He looked around at them with anger. I'm just, I picture Jesus looking. They remain silent. This guy's in the middle of the room. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus doesn't even touch him. Stretches out his hand, and when he does, it's totally normal. I don't know about you, but you would think that the Pharisees and the scribes would say, you know, maybe we should think a little deeper about what, what we're doing here. But that is not what they do. I want you to turn with me back to Matthew chapter 23. I want you to hear a more detailed description of the hearts of these Pharisees. If you want to go home and read all of Matthew 23, he pronounces seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. I'm just going to read you some of it. Because I want you to hear what the condition is of a pharisaical heart. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you. Isn't that odd? Because if they're preaching the law, which is good and holy, you should do it. It's all these extra rules that you're not supposed to be doing. But not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Those are those extra rules. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries, that's the thing where the scriptures stored on their head. It looks like they've got a headband with a box on their head. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Go down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. There again, you do not neglect what the Scripture teaches. This is not a lesson on 
rules are meant to be broken. That is not what this is. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus was following the law, and he is the lawgiver, and he was the embodiment of all that was true and right and just and holy, and they were blind to that. But Jesus commends them here. You should tithe on the mint and the dill and the cumin, but you should not have neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness, which are the weightier issues of the law. Verse 24 is one of my favorite verses ever. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I use this at work all the time. Anytime anybody that works in a bureaucratic system knows that bureaucracy is similar to Phariseeism, where people get really upset about your TPS reports being in triplicate. Does anybody know what I mean? Like, you really got to have this report done this way, and your margin is indented six spaces and not five. Therefore, we're firing you. You know, that, that attitude, whereas the, ide- the, the real weighty matter of, of the job at hand is what needs to be focused on. Jesus said that justice and mercy and faithfulness are the weighty issues of the law. Do the other things, but not like the Pharisees who are doing them just to be seen. The condition of the heart that you and I are reading about is a condition that causes you to want to be seen as a rule keeper, but privately in your heart and in your life, you don't care about God at all. That is what's happening in these passages. And what Jesus is calling attention to is that if your heart belongs to God and is soft and is not hardened by rule keeping, you would rather see goodness and mercy happening to people which is the point of the law. The Sabbath was made for man to rest, not for man to check off all the rules he kept on the Sabbath, but for him to rest and to know God. The heart of the issue for us as Christians is recognizing when we become rule keepers on the outside But on the inside, we don't care about God or His Word or His law or His people at all. I'm just going to go to church to say that I did. I'm not going to do these things so I can say that I didn't do them. But in my heart, it is far away from God. Which is why verse 6 in the presence of of the Son of God, the Pharisees, they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. By the way, the Herodians were loyal to King Herod, who was loyal to Rome and profited greatly off the taxation. And it would be really, really, really weird to have Pharisees and Herodians working together. Because the Herodians were, by, by the very nature of what they're called, and they're mentioned in uh, Mark chapter 12, they were, they were hooked up with Rome. The idea that the Pharisees hated Jesus this bad, that they would plot with Herodians, who would have been influential people in Jewish society, 
but they probably were not very good at keeping the law. They were probably committing gross violations of the law. But Jesus has gotten under their skin because Jesus is telling the truth and cutting through all of the religious ceremony, getting at the heart of the issue. Jesus is after mercy. Jesus is demonstrating mercy. He's after goodness and he's demonstrating goodness. Religion always leads us to mechanical, dead service that we just go through the motions. We live in America and we live in the Bible Belt. So this is a message for me. And this is a message for us to guard our hearts or check them is probably a better word. To check your own heart and say, do I sit in a seat of mechanical judgment of others that can't keep all the minutia of rules that the Bible Belt demands? Like, uh, I don't ever go to rated R movies. Now I gossip like it's going out of style and I'm greedy and filled with lust, but I don't go to rated R movies. Do you? That's, an, that's just a small example. Minor example in the Bible Belt. I'm not suggesting that we should be watching movies that have sexual scenes in them. We shouldn't be. And gross uh, concepts and whatever else. That's not, I'm not saying that, oh yeah, that's what we should be doing. We should be doing because we're so free. There's so much grace. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the rule keeper in us says, I can lord that over somebody's head that I don't do that ugly thing that you guys do. We have to check our hearts so that we are not hardened of heart. Because what I read here is Jesus gets angry and grieved over the hardness of heart. Of people who are incredibly dedicated to keeping the minutia of the law. But they've totally left the heart of God who gave the law. I don't want to be that way. How do you, how do you fix that? I mean, how do, you, how do you know? How do you fix it? You say, Lord, search me and know me. This is what David said. Try me. I want to be tender. I do not want to be calloused rule keeping. But I want to do what is right. I want to do the things that are right. So I'm not looking to be rebellious. I'm looking to be Firmly planted in your word, doing what is well-pleasing in your sight with a tender heart towards the world around me so that I am compassionate towards the sinners around me that fail or my brothers and sisters in Christ who have stumbled and I want to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6, considering my own self lest I also be tempted. I want to be a person of restoration and help, and I want to recognize my own shortcomings. I don't ever want to be an arrogant, prideful keeper of rules, but inside, nobody knows how ugly I am. Jennifer said something this morning that, that is our cure. The perfect law of liberty, which is the Word of God, when you read it, it shows us what manner of man and woman that we are. And we come away from it being instructed 
through it and by the Holy Spirit. And God convicts us of sin. And He encourages us with what He's done. And He lavishes us with His goodness and His grace and His mercy. And He corrects us for our sin and our attitude. And that is what we want. Praise the Lord. So to conclude this sermon, read your Bible and pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. It's, it's, I can conclude every sermon that way. Read your Bible and pray every day. And do what we're reading. And ask God for help. If you want to pray a prayer that may make you uncomfortable, ask God to show you, Lord, am I just a rule keeper? Am I heart far from you? Am I just a rebellious person that doesn't care? Our personalities kind of dictate where we are on that spectrum. I vacillate between, I really wish this was just a big hippie religion. We just do whatever we want. And then I cross over to, if you don't stop eating with plastic forks, we're all going to burn in hell. Like You just go between these crazy extremes as, you guys know what I'm talking about? As a Christian, you hear a sermon on grace and you're like, oh, right. And then you hear a sermon on keeping the rules and you're like, oh, no. A Christian is somebody captured by God's Spirit that wants to do what God wants and desires to do it because your heart is changed. And you can cover up that desire with pounds and layers of flesh and sin and you have to go to God and say, God, forgive me, help me, and He will. Forgive me, and He does. Praise the Lord. Let's everybody stand up. We're going to end this morning by praying for a couple people. Corbett had requested prayer for 13-month-old baby, Jeremiah, for himself. Um, please keep Rob Williamson and his family in your prayers as well. Um, not sure exactly what I should say or should not say, but um, so don't maybe give him a second and not text him until maybe tomorrow. But his uh, his father passed away, and we want to um, lift him up in prayer as well. Rob's one of our elders here, and that's where he's at uh, this morning. So let's let's ask God for some of that tenderness that we need here this morning. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I pray that, I pray we would be encouraged by this. Lord, we're seeing Jesus' reaction towards the people of God, the Jewish people and the leaders who wandered away into mechanical rule-keeping that wasn't even in your law. 
Lord, we don't want to be people like that. We want to have tender-hearted mercy. We want to be overflowing with compassion and love. And I pray that we would all be people like that. If we're here and we are rule keepers, God, show us. Correct us. We thank you that your correction is not condemnation. It is life-giving and it leads us closer to you. Lord, if we're on the other end of that spectrum and we just delight to hear the condemnation of rule keepers because we don't want to follow any rules. We want to do it our own way. God, convict, correct, we pray. Encourage them to see wonderful things in your law. Lord, we lift up this morning this little baby Jeremiah. God, we pray for healing. We pray for health. We pray that you would do your work in that family and for Corbett, God, that you would strengthen him and encourage him as well, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we lift up Rob and his family, all of them, and we just ask, God, that your mercy would flow in that room wherever they are as they're grieving, God, that you would be with them. God, you are near to the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. And I, I pray, God, that through the grief, there is healing. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. You are worthy of our worship, of our lives. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Church, you are officially dismissed.